everybody, and welcome to another edition of PTSM Network Classics. And we return to uh, my favorite, or at least one of my favorites, uh, doing an episode of WWF Superstars. And this one, I sound a little bit like Vince there, didn't I? Superstars! I've got to get way down in there. But anyway, this episode is from June 13th, 1992. And uh, just saw word they're going to be releasing more episodes of Superstars. It may already be up there. I think they've got episodes now from 92 and 1993. My last uh, period of time with the WWF. But uh, we, that means we've got a lot more episodes to go through. Besides all of the other uh, episodes out there from the many different ones on the network, including Saturday night's main event, and maybe we'll do a primetime wrestling here and there. Uh, We've got just so many, so many to go through. But today we're focusing on June 13th, 1992. This episode was actually taped on May 19th, 1992. And Sean, why is that? Well, let me tell you, since you asked, that's because they used to do the TV tapings and they'd be three weeks out in many cases. And this, of course, was an episode that they taped Uh, probably at the end of the night when people were just, uh, you know, falling asleep in their seats. But uh, Hulk hadn't come on yet, so they were still hanging around. (laughs) It it was. I remember back uh, in those days when we would do these tapings, and I I imagined, I always thought of these people that when they came to uh, an event, because we did a lot of these uh, where, you know, there were house shows all over the place. So there were many times you'd go to a house event, and there wouldn't be anything spectacular. It would just be a house show. And whoever you saw on the card that uh, they promised you was coming would be there. But when uh, they did the TV tapings, not only did you get that uh, card, that fantastic card you were looking forward to, but you would get about 307 other matches that had to fill all of the uh, TV that we were doing. Uh, one night would be Superstars, one night would be Challenge, and of course all the other stuff that they had going, we had to get those matches done. So I always thought, you know, when these people first came and then they saw the cameras and uh, all the excitement and Howard coming out and saying, we're on the air and whatever, and everybody would cheer and they were just thinking, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm here at this taping with the superstars and they're all here and everybody and I get to see them. And then after they've been there for like five hours and the kids have school the next day, uh, at least mom and dad are going, uh, what the hell? Uh, we were thinking maybe this might last a couple hours. We get the kids home. They're going to be back at the house by 9.30. Everybody's in bed. Oh, yeah, they're up a little late. But when you're waiting for Hulk Hogan on a Monday night uh, <laughs> to come on at midnight, I, I would have been a little, uh, you know, that stretches your, your patience just a bit. But uh, nonetheless, this is the way it was done back then because they just had so much programming to do. So... Uh, anyway, I always uh, always just wondered about that. But this is one of those uh, episodes that was, of course, taped, and uh, it would air three weeks later, June thirteenth, nineteen ninety two. Uh, another thing about this show, this show in particular, is uh, the fact that you will know half of the people in the ring. Well, maybe I should say there's one exception: uh, Barry Horowitz, who was uh, a really, really good enhancement talent. And got some notoriety on his own. Uh, people knew him. He had a gimmick going where, you know, he had his uh, streak, losing streak going over, but he would pat himself on the back. That was his thing. And we've had Barry on the show. Uh, great, a great interview. And it was really interesting to hear from him, to get that perspective from where he was coming from, that uh, it was his job as a professional 
to uh, put other wrestlers over. And he took, uh, and still to this day, takes very uh, much pride in that. The fact that he was the guy they called on in many of these cases where they needed him to go out there. They had somebody new or one of the superstars uh, that uh, they wanted to get out there and just remind everybody how massive and how intense and how fierce they were. They put him out there with Barry, and Barry would, because uh, the fact that he was a good hand, as they say, uh, he would you know go out there and he'd mount some offense against these guys and give them a good uh, match. But in the end, he would take a licket, and uh, he would do it uh, uh, proudly uh, because it, he, it earned him quite a living. So uh, Barry Horowitz is in uh, one of these matches, and actually the first one we're going to see is he takes on Tatanka, who at the time was getting a pretty damn good uh, push here, uh, had an undefeated streak going. And then also we're going to see uh, Shawn Michaels in singles competition, which, which uh, what it was what he was doing at the time, having now split with the Rockers. And uh, he faces uh, Craig Brown, okay? So I don't know how many of you had posters of Craig Brown in your in your uh, your basement uh, uh, playroom or in your bedroom, but uh, yeah, not so much uh, much uh, notoriety on, in his case. Uh, the Natural Disasters, you're going to see a Typhoon and Earthquake in tag team competition as they face the Executioners. Uh, yeah, we'll find out who they are when that's uh, coming up. Uh, okay, do you want me to tell you? I, I mean, I could give it away now or we could wait. But, okay, let me just tell you that um, the Executioners, a couple of masks, and... Uh, no, I'm not going to tell you. I, I'll, I'll wait to tell you. But they're, they're in masks, and uh, I don't know if you'll say, wow, I can't believe it. <laughs> but it's a great name for a tag team, right? The Executioners. Uh, the Mountie. I'm the Mountie. I'm the Mountie. Uh, defeats uh, Bill Kobe in uh, this episode. And then we're going to see Kamala. Uh, Kamala's also uh, makes this superstar's show, El Matador, which uh, Tito Santana is doing that gimmick uh, as they, uh, you know, bring him out as the bullfighter. And uh, he's going to face uh, Mike Samples, okay? Uh, did, I, did I not mention Kamala's opponent, uh, Dale Wolf, or maybe the Mounties' uh, opponent, Bill Kobe? You know, I want to give all these guys credit. And and you know what? Sure, I, I, uh, I say this, uh, you know, as in kidding that you wouldn't hear these guys. And, and really, they were, in a lot of ways, the, the unsung who really didn't get much recognition. But they went out there and, and uh, you know, uh, having, uh, hoping to get a shot, uh, having gone to wrestling school, worked uh, incredibly hard, uh, just maybe never got an opportunity. And they would... Uh, be uh, the jobbers that would appear on these shows. As I said, as I referred to people like Barry Horowitz, and there are others who would become, in my view, enhancement talent. And there is a difference. The The jobbers, would, uh, the ones that were out there, uh, were easy to recognize because they were the guys that didn't get to do a damn thing. Their matches lasted about a minute, and they just got the shit kicked out of them. It's uh, pretty much the best way to put it, but that's why they were there. And uh, they went out there freely, uh, said, okay, I'm ready. Uh, give me my $50 when this is over, and please don't break my neck. I, I do have a family home. Um, and uh, uh, wrapping this up, we've got Nails in action as he faces Ron Cumberledge in another very, very don't blink in this one. This will be the shortest match of the night, uh, uh, as we will see. 
But uh, what else is interesting about this episode is the fact that we've got a lot of other stuff jammed into it besides these matches I mentioned uh, that are going to pretty much be forgettable. But you've got um, you've got an update with uh, Mean Gene, and uh, we we they continue to push this uh, ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> uh, angle going here between the ultimate warrior and Papa Shango as the curse is still laid on uh, the warrior. I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think that maybe we shouldn't go in order on these because uh, I mean, I got tired of the angle. I never even actually got to see the real match between these guys, <laughs> but it's like, all right, already we're going to get the black ooze. And then they had Gene even having it coming out of his arm uh, that he couldn't get the gimmick to work very well. So you don't get to see a whole lot of it. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, whatever, uh, that, that's going to come on. Uh, but what else is remarkable uh, about this, this show is that we see, uh, the emergence of Razor Ramon, uh, you know, Scott Hall as, uh, having arrived at the WWF after, after, uh, staying, uh, for a while with the WCW, uh, his first stint there as the, uh, diamond stud, he was part of that whole troop with DDP, um, and uh, they had seen him, you know, the, the World Wrestling Federation, Pat Patterson, you know, who was had a great eye for talent, uh, had, uh, you know, uh, seen what he could do in the ring and, and saw great promise in him. But uh, Scott had, you know, recently signed a contract with the WCW. I don't think it was a long one, but, um, you know, I think he intended to honor it. And uh, so he was going to be there for a while. But the WWF basically said, hey, when you're done, uh, we'll bring you in. We'd love to have you. And uh, that would happen. And thus, they would uh, bring him in and then develop the character of Reza Ramon, which is a pretty interesting story, if it's all true. But uh, we'll recount that once we get into this. And, uh, well, maybe we won't. Maybe we won't. Let's, let's tell it now, because it's, uh, I, don't want, I don't want you to be distracted by watching uh, the actual interview. Uh, but uh, according to Hall, and these are, and I, oh yes, I should mention where I'm getting these notes too from uh, Blog of Doom, who I think they, they do a great job. If you ever want to get information on uh, specific shows with the World Wrestling Federation and uh, uh, the WWE, of course, uh, they're a great source, blogofdoom.com. And uh, I, so I witnessed some of this stuff too. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I like to uh, have things brought back to me and of course uh, these guys paid a lot more attention than I did so it's uh, it's fun to look at these uh, as we get uh, set to take a look at the show itself but there's a Razor Ramon vignette in here and uh, you know some of the vignettes they did were pretty pretty lame uh, I think that they tried really hard with Crush none of those really ever worked there were just and, and there were others that just were kind of you know lame but the ones they did I, maybe it was because the gimmick was such a great idea but the the uh, Razor Ramon vignette is is really good, and I think it's because you know uh, of uh, you know Scott's ability, um, and and the gimmick was just a great idea. Uh, the whole idea of it was you know had come from he him doing this impression, you know, like of Tony Montana, um, you know, remember, and uh, from the movie, and uh, uh, Scarface, and you know. He would do this impression apparently uh, to entertain the guys, and and also uh, while they were driving around, like Kurt Hennig, I think brought this to Vince's attention. Said this is a, a great, uh, he's great with it, you know. Then maybe you can develop it into this character, and so uh, they came up with the idea that it would uh, his, his first name would be Razor, 
but they wanted to have that, I guess, that, that Cuban kind of that, uh, you know, name to go with it or, or a Hispanic name. And uh, I had heard this before. And I, and I think when we had the conversation with Tito, uh, he talked about a little bit that uh, trying to come up with a last name. And they know they're going to call him Razor. And that uh, offhandedly, you know, basically as he's trying to search for an answer, because I think it initially, uh, according to the notes here, and I, I don't remember hearing this, that it was going to be Razor Ruddock. The last name Ruddick, but um, you know, apparently Hall had at, saw Tito Santana and asked Tito, you know, what what is a, a last name that uh, is like, you know maybe Cuban or Hispanic or something like that that would go with this uh, with a razor with an R, and uh, Tito didn't miss a beat and just said uh, Ramon, and they like Razor Ramon, wow. you know, and it just clicked. That apparently Vince loved it, and they went from there. But, uh, you know, the whole toothpick thing, and, and to this day, Scott has a toothpick with him, I think. I don't know from as he just kind of reminds everybody that he's the gimmick or he just got used to it and likes it. But uh, you see him now, and he still has a toothpick. Uh, but uh, getting back to how this all came together, they uh, do this, uh, all these uh, vignettes. They did a, a series of them, as we're about to see one of them here, uh, with him in uh, South Beach. They went down to uh, Florida, and uh, they did them there. And uh, they did a great job with them. And, and I think a lot of it had to do with uh, not only the idea of how they're going to do stuff, but also how strong the character was and what they could do with it. And this, I think, early on, they knew was going to be uh, a great one. Uh, I love the stories, and it's in here in these notes, but I'd heard it before, too, from other people, that Vince... and Oh, I, I know Bruce has told this story, Bruce Pritchard. Uh, on something to wrestle that, um, you know, that that Vince, honest to God, had no idea, had never seen the movie Scarface, had no idea who Tony Montana was. And uh, when they sold him the character, initially, he just loved the character. He said, yeah, that's a great idea, without having any idea that, he, that he'd drawn this from the the gangster, the you know, from, from the movie. <laughs> so... You know, the sheltered life. I think he watched it after. You know, they said, well, you know Tony Montana. I'm like, no. And they got him a copy. But uh, needless to say, Vince uh, liked the character before he saw the movie. So uh, it just got better and better for Scott Hall. And we all know with the, the history of that and how it went for him because it was a great. He was great at it. He had a great look. Uh, he the, the promos were fantastic. He looked good, and uh, he could certainly pull it off in the ring. So that that's going to come up in this this Razor Ramon vignette, and uh, the other thing that they're going to push here, which was a big deal at the time, they're pushing the hell out of WBF, WBF World Bodybuilding Federation, the ill-fated uh, business of, of Vince, and you know it's it's just it's unfortunate because. Really, who's going to argue with the fact that uh, that Vince McMahon is a a brilliant promoter, brilliant, and and the, what he's been able to do over the years, and how he's operated that company, and how he's turned it into a billion dollar operation. But it's as far as going into other businesses and being successful, it just has never really happened and it's 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 uncanny to me to really think about that because um 
you know, he had to have been a good businessman uh, to, to pull off what he's done. Uh, and also just the ideas for marketing. I mean, we're not talking just wrestling. I mean, just basic like marketing brilliance of coming up with stuff. And of course, the ability to uh, recognize how to bring talented people around you. Um, you know, Vince was always king, but I don't discount the fact that he recognizes talent when he sees it. And I'm not talking about just in the ring, but uh, that people that can help him take his product to another level. And uh, has done that thousands of times at this point. But these outside businesses, you know, the movies, the WBF, uh, the XFL, uh, this last time, whatever you want to um, attribute it to, but it just has never happened. And uh, when it comes to wrestling, can't touch them. There's nobody that ever will. But uh, the outside businesses just didn't happen. And, and here in this, and he had another, he had a perfect marketing tool to uh, get it out to people, but it just didn't happen. And it was uh, ill-fated. It was the idea of giving bodybuilders gimmicks just was, uh, was laughable. And the event that they had, and I was there, it was, it was pathetic. Uh, And it was that, you know, it was a time when all the, uh, the scandal with the steroids was going on. So they couldn't allow these guys to use any enhancement and, uh, and, and, and it just wasn't the same crowd. Wrestling fans were not interesting, interested in bodybuilding, which uh, was, I think, a misstep on the part of uh, Vince and the people around him, thinking that they would get a crossover. It didn't happen. Anyway, there you have it. So you're going to get a lot more of this, these, uh, besides a lot of these jobber matches, uh, uh, enhancement talent matches, let me say. Uh, but uh, that's coming up. So. You know what we need to do here. I hope you're queued up already. Maybe uh, you are, but maybe you're not. And uh, that's okay, because we're going to give you the opportunity to get all tuned up here. You go to the WWE Network. You go to uh, uh, in-ring, and then go down, scroll down to featured, and then uh, slide over those icons till you get to WWF Superstars. Click on that, and then I want you to find the episode of Superstars from 1992, That's June 13th, 1992. Okay, but we're going to take a pause right now so that you can get ready to go. All right, so here we go. Pause. And we are back. And I'm uh, I'm kind of excited to see this because uh, as we go through this, I see what's on the way. It is, uh, again, a promotional tool. That's what these shows are. And we've, we've explained that several times. And you get it, and I get it. But that doesn't mean they weren't entertaining. Okay? So, what do you say? Let's get to it. You got your uh, got the little pointer thing on the play? Good. Here we go. Three, two, one, play. And right into the open with the Hulkster. Big boss man. Love the boss man. Getting them all in here. Jimmy. There's Undertaker. Bret Hart. IRS. Saw Typhoon there. And Tatanka. We're going to see him coming up. Warrior. And the Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, did I mention that? We're going to see an interview with uh, Gene and Randy. And that's going to be an interesting one, too. There's a good backstory going on there. And this episode coming to us from Lexington, Kentucky. 
with that big giant green screen behind them with Mr. Perfect. All right, we got a horse racing theme because we're in Lexington, Kentucky. Get it? A whole stable. Ooh, are we going to actually get to see that? Oh, WBF Championship. Ah, boy, they just, how many puns? This should have been, they like, how many puns can you put in one intro? Well, I think we've got the record. As uh, Vince comes in, this week on Superstars of Wrestling. That special interview with the Macho Man Randy Savage with Mean Gene. Nails is in the house. And I know you've all been wondering, what is going on with the Ultimate Warrior and that curse? Shawn Michaels, a singles action with uh, Sensational Sherry by his side with uh, Kamala making an appearance as well. So ding, ding, ding. And there's Tatanka. Looking great. And Barry Horowitz already inside the squared circle as Howard announces Tatanka. And uh, we've had Tatanka on. If you haven't caught that episode, you really should. He's a, he's a great story. Um, another Another guy who was living a pretty good life before he decided that he had to pursue his passion. He was working uh, with uh, one of the the big companies that uh, were associated with uh, casinos and was doing very well. I mean, he's making a six-figure salary and uh, just, uh, I don't want to say threw it away, but uh, made up his mind that this is something he was going to do. And uh, they wanted him to stick around, but he said, you know, no, if I'm going to be committed to doing this, I have to make it a full-time gig. And that's exactly what he did. It worked out. Worked out pretty well for Tatanka. And as I mentioned about Barry, you know, Barry knew Barry could work, man. And and that's why they trusted him to go in there, put up a fight. But in the end, he was going to take the the tougher part of the beating as he gets up and gladly accepts that drop kick and a clothesline. And uh, Barry's like, oh, come on, man. He's up, dude. Oh, yeah? Nice little shoulder right to the chin. Oh, man. Coming back here. Barry Horowitz. Uh, Getting a little cocky here, though, man. You know, if you're going to mount that offense, you better stay on him like glue. Drives Tatanka into the boot right up there on the top turnbuckle. You got Danny Davis, who uh, would have an opportunity to be a superstar as well, as uh, back in his ref clothes there. And uh, as you know, we continued this feud between Rick Martel, as uh, he had stolen the feather from a headdress of uh, an ancient headdress of Tatanka's. Who didn't see that coming? Another feather in his cap. Body slam. Now, Tatanka 
going up to the top rope, and he he could get around in the ring. He's quite an athlete. And a chop right to the center of the forehead. And down goes Barry once again. So this one's going to be over pretty quick. So, you know, the point of these matches, too, when, when uh, you know, you couldn't just have these guys go out there and, uh, you know, just basically destroy these guys because then it made it look like the other guy was just a lump of flesh, which in many cases they were. So when you got somebody out there that actually had some talent, uh, you know, it was it was great because it showed that this guy could take some punishment and come back and be victorious. And it wasn't even, that was a match about two and a half minutes long, but it served its purpose. As we pause here for an update from none other than me, Gene Okerlund. Okay, so uh, this is our chance to sell, sell, sell. That's, uh, this isn't the magazine. This is the catalog. If you will. <laughs> yes. Can you can you believe it? Yeah. That and Gene himself knowing uh, having experienced this, so we couldn't uh, show this enough. The Ultimate Warrior. Unex- inexplicably, yeah, it was like a shot, like a harpoon to the side of the Ultimate Warrior. And uh, Gene had been a, a part of the, I mean, witnessing it right in front of his very eyes, the black ooze. Now, this one actually worked, this this pump. So you've got, uh, was that oil? I don't know what it was. Yeah. Yes, yours, that, that man right there, Gene Okerlund, would fall victim. Fall victim. <laughs> oh, Gene. You were so good. God, he was just fantastic. Yeah. But what did Gene do to Shango? Why why, why does he have to, uh, you know... Although, I don't know what the warrior did to Shango. Did he mock him? I don't know. Yeah. All right. All right, Gene, come on. Got to make the pump work. Watch, watch Gene. Watch Gene. Okay. Oh, oh my. All right, where's the hand going? All right. Wait, well, uh-oh. Now, what did Gene do? Gene didn't do anything wrong, did he? Uh-oh. He's got the hand in the... Where's your other hand there, mister? Which... <laughs> it's like... It's like... <laughs> okay, we got, the... got it out. Okay. So you need a little more juice there, I think, to sell that. But Gene sold it, right? Give me a break. And that man is just transfixed. Mm. <laughs> Happened to you. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Who could it be? 
the ultimate warrior. Mm. Now, he will make absolutely no sense, but you get the idea he's mad at Papa Shango. Ah. Uh-huh. So, you know, uh, uh, there is uh, people that have spent years uh, trying to decipher this language. My flesh, yeah. Which made it tough because, you know, he would work on like how he was going to do this. Like when you did an interview with him, it was kind of tough to play off of it because he had his, that, he was going to say that no matter what. And you, you were not going to interrupt that. So you just kind of went, you just rolled with it. Man, he was massive, wasn't he? All right, ding, ding, ding. As we continue on, and there's uh, Greg Brown, and uh, he made a little difference on the spelling there, just to stand out a little bit, but that's uh, the only thing that would stand out in this match. As Shawn, <laughs> Shawn Michaels, did you notice what Vince just said? So the WBF championship is sold out. So you can only watch this on pay-per-view. Uh, that was not the case. And I'll tell you something else. It was uh, far from being sold out on pay-per-view as well. I think that the, it wasn't single digits, but um, it wasn't even... Uh, I, I, don't, I think it might have been triple digits. I think that... Uh, and that's talking about the whole country. But uh, we've mentioned that before, and, and, and at some point we are going to get a hold of that broadcast and uh, do a, a watch-along or something. But that would be, uh, it, was, it would be fun. It would really be fun, because I remember doing the interviews backstage, and it was tough to keep a straight face with some of the outfits that they made these guys wear. There was one guy that, I can't even remember his name, but they had him in like a Batman outfit, and oh. Uh, God. But Shawn Michaels coming out with Sensational Sherry uh, with the mirror, of course. Wanted to look at himself as much as possible. This is uh, much like the narcissist, that uh, another a gimmick that didn't work. <laughs> but Greg Brown, spelled with G-R, an A and an I and a G. Uh, Shawn Michaels uh, just going to get this one over pretty quickly and this is just pretty much that was just to try and get a little push for wbf and of course put sean over yeah they have him in the running as the uh for the intercontinental championship as uh he you know he's he's been going after they've been pushing the bret hart uh matchup between these two which would uh I wouldn't say it was the beginning of a long-running shoot feud between those two. Shawn Michaels sends Browns. He gets uh, two boots to the chops. And uh, Sherry prowling at ringside. I took it easy on him there, man. I'd seen Shawn anyway. He took the heads off these guys. It's actually taking it pretty easy on Greg Brown here. Side suplex. 
And all it's going to take is a couple of fingers to keep him down on that for the one, two, three. As Michaels just disposes of him, throws him out of the ring. They give him a little chance for uh, his own pose down. Which were uh, a lot better than the ones we saw at the WBF pay-per-view. Yeah. Shawn Michaels admiring what he sees. Boy, is Vince pushing this. Boy. Takes him out with a kiss. And uh, shot to his own chin. As we check in now in the event center, and uh, I thought we were going to be... Boy, where'd you get that time? Wouldn't that drop in a paint bucket? Good Lord. And that stuff was in then, okay? The party tie. Well, it's like something you wear on New Year's Eve or something. It's got like the streamers. Or is that a banana in there? I don't know. Ooh, repossessor money. No, what? Repo Man, ah, yeah, because they bark. So Repo Man, you know, uh, Barry Darso, doing what he can with this gimmick. Got the the tow rope. Uh Uh-oh. So a little uh, primer to match up with the British Bulldog out there at house shows. So normally, uh, wherever your city was, and I had done an event center, I would be pushing the local arena that uh, the the uh, Repo Man and the British Bulldog were, of course, on that card. So there you go. Why do jean shirts look so much better than mine? It looks like I kept that in a wallet. Carrie uh, Von Eric. And he was another incredible physical specimen. Uh, this is a guy that really, he had one of the best physiques in the WWF. Uh, maybe just a few notches down from the Ultimate Warrior, but man, was he a, a physical specimen. And, you know, he people loved him. He was just a sweet guy. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's just a shame he, that uh, those demons that uh, just haunted him and uh, all his entire life. I mean, basically, uh, a lot of things going on in that family, and and um, it's just a shame what happened to him because he was really, I'm telling you, he was just the greatest guy. And and uh, I did a lot a lot of appearances with him. Uh, he always took the time. If there were kids there, he would stay there until the the end of the line. He wouldn't uh, just say, "I got to go." And just awesome. So, as I mentioned before, we got into this that uh, Razor was about to enter the WWF. So here we go. This is that vignette. Ramon, yeah, with the little curly cue down in front. Got like, it's like a white dinner jacket, no shirt, 
Lots of gold. Look at me. Come on. I like the I like the gold razor blade. You know what that was for? Supposedly, uh, that reference to Tony Montana. All I want. The well. Now see this vignette? This, and that would become his trademark, the flip of that toothpick. But it was a real simple, that's just him on the street cutting a promo. But uh, it worked. Uh, you know, he got immediate attention. By the time he actually uh, hit the arenas, he was already, uh, you know, over. As we see the natural disasters all almost uh, 800 pounds of them facing the executioners. And uh, I'm sorry, I, you know, when you, you thought of that, like when, you, when somebody would have said the executioners, when you, you'd imagine, you know, six foot seven guys, basically the same. <laughs> they don't look like executioners to me unless they're executing uh, small rodents or something. But these guys, you know, you thought executioners, you like think guys would be, you know, all black, which they are, uh, in black and, and, uh, like just monsters with, uh, executioner masks on, but no, this, this is actually two enhancement talents and, uh, two of them, I mean, you, that you saw regularly, this was, uh, according to the notes here, it's Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy, uh, which is, when they get up next to these guys, uh, they're not real large humans. Uh, they look just puny in a sense. And maybe it was a, just kind of a joke to call them the executioners to give them this ominous tag team name <laughs> and put a couple of masks on them. But uh, it's just, even then, see, they, this stuff backstage was going on all the time where they it was kind of this tongue-in-cheek that they would do with names they'd come up with for guys and and they had fun. It was all these, I mean, remember the whole business is made up of adults who are still children. That's really what it is. The guy that they got the privilege of being able to participate in this business at this level. And they're just kids who, who still get to uh, get to play. And, and that's what it was pretty much about. Uh, Fred Ottman, He's, uh, I've got, got to know him very well, uh, over the course of uh, doing a number of appearances with him and, uh, had him on the show. Got to get him back soon. I really love Fred, just a, a teddy bear, uh, a large human being, uh, but really I think his, his heart is, uh, makes up most of his body cause he's just a really great guy and, uh, great athlete. And then you got John Tenta who was, Earthquake, uh, who was an actual sumo, as uh, one of the executioners here. I don't know if that's one or two. What do you want to call them? And it comes out and beats on him like, uh, you know, like a fly. <laughs> they don't even have to lift, lift their arms up to right? take this guy off his feet. And uh, they got to do a little, yeah. This typhoon just takes him out like uh, yeah, I'm taking out a bag of trash, throws it out of the ring, and we know what's coming. John gets tuned up off the ropes, 
There's a tag, so we're going to see a double here. Ooh. And, you know, John was kind there. I mean, sometimes these guys would just brutal. And an easy disposal of the executioners. (laughs) But uh, let's give them credit. Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy went out there. And uh, because they'd been around and they had appeared in several matches, that uh, they took it easy on those guys. And, and uh, it wasn't like the usual troop that would show up. They'd get these guys that they'd bring over from schools who had uh, absolutely, I mean, zero or, or a little bit of experience. And they would basically just tell them, go out there and uh, just take what you got to get there. And these guys could go away and have a tale to tell. Yeah, we got Skinner. Well, I, I'm glad he liked to chew tobacco because that would have been a tough gimmick if he didn't, right? But um, as I was mentioning, though, with the guys, when they when you had enhancement talent that that worked regularly, they 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 uh, respected those guys and what they did and and the fact that they did know how to work. But when they had guys out there that really didn't know what the hell they were doing, oof, it was ugly. And Skinner lasted a while in the WWF. And they... (laughs) My face like, what the hell? Man, uh, did Mooney ever laugh? Uh, How about a a little lightness here, bub? Yeah. No, but that was my job. That was my job. It was all very serious. That's just when I got to do Coliseum where I got to have some fun. And Paul Bear, and a, a great duo here. I mean, come on. When it comes to managers and uh, superstars, this was a great, great duo. Uh, Paul Bear. I don't know what else he would have, what you know, what else he would have been good at as a manager. Uh, he, I know that he had been and had appeared with and, and been in the business quite a while by the time he got to the WWF, but. This was this was perfect for him. I mean, he was an actual uh, uh, funeral director, I believe. I mean, worked at a funeral parlor, uh, so he uh, knew where to draw from. But he just had that, uh, you know, that look about him. So I mean, they they both found their way. They they both found the perfect place to be in professional wrestling. As uh, Mooney wraps it up. Get another time, Mooney. You get that. I, I hope I got rid of that one at some point because, uh, eh, boy, who selects his clothes? The Mountie. So is that like uh, any sails the seven seas on the Mountie? You know, so what's that? <laughs> I think that's where it came from. Uh, as Jimmy Hart comes out, he's got the, that's the super shocker in the case. And, uh, well, you know, I don't know if it was purposeful. But that hat that the Mountie wears, it, it doesn't it look like it's too big for his head, just like the sunglasses are, and maybe to make a little bit uh, light of of, the, of his character. But I just always thought that was funny that the hat was so damn big, you know, it's, doesn't it? I mean, it's just like if it wasn't for his ears, it would be down uh, on his nose. Come on. There we go. It was fun, though. Wasn't this a great... This was fun. 
and and Jacques was did you know played it well. He didn't have that opportunity as one of the Rougeau brothers, right? But he got to play up this character, and, and uh, he was able to write it for a long time. As he would, uh, you know, team up with PCO and, uh, you know, carry that on. Despite pissing off the Royal Canadian Police, <laughs> the real Mounties. But yeah, they have no sense of humor. Come on. Was the boss man making fun of all law enforcement? I don't think so. No. And uh, that, at this point, which was, of course, a pretty natural uh, feud, you would think, was uh, going on at this time with the boss man. And then, of course, as we've got going here with, with Sergeant Slaughter, there's a lot you could do with the military, law enforcement. And Sergeant Slaughter, still very much hard at work at this period of his career. A drop kick as he continues to dismantle Bill Kobe. All right, and, uh, you know, you only got a, a little bit more than a minute and a half to not have to listen to that music again, <laughs> as he goes. As uh, the Mountie, uh, of course, you got to keep that thing locked up because it's a dangerous weapon. And he's not going to miss the opportunity to inflict a little more punishment on poor Bill Kobe. And uh, this is another chance. We get a chance to hear that sound effect. Ooh. Pulls it out with that uh, red duct tape. There we go. All right, my friend. Don't move. I'm coming. Got to torture you just a smidgen more. And I always loved like Jimmy whenever he was going to have somebody do something, somebody would kind of like be directing him, like the guy knew needed to know what he wanted to do. <laughs> like, oh, come on. That's too much. That's too much. All right. What? The guy, you know, dared to come into the ring with you? Yeah, see? Oh, man, this guy even got some lines. I think he gets scale for that. Oh, uh oh. Guy's had enough. Well, so we should let him go now. Look, he did everything he asked him to do. Oh, boy. Look at the. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, it is his lucky day. He got away. He didn't get shocked. All right. Not just twice. Oh, he wants his music. Oh, no. The big cannons. Tonight. So is this, uh, were we in Los Angeles then for this? Because, like I said, this is three weeks after it was taped. So 
Yeah, so look at these guys. Look at, man, those they, they are just ripped to shreds, right? They did not look like that in Los Angeles on this night. Trust me, I was there. All right, now we go to an interview here with uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, a champion. And, uh, yeah, they're talking about uh, this match coming up. All right, uh, this is prior, like he said, this is an empty arena. And and if you remember, the angle was Flair, who said that, uh, that, she, that, that Elizabeth had a thing for Flair. Yeah. And Gene's saying, look, you've always, yeah. What is that? What what that that cloud of controversy, uh, Gene? Uh, mm. So uh, th- th- this is uh, as we said, he's going to be defending the championship, but. The, the whole situation is not good at this point. That's why I kind of hesitate to talk about it. It pains me that, uh, gee, I, I don't believe like Randy and Elizabeth were divorced at this point, but they were not, I th- think, they believe they were separated. And um, it was a really difficult, as you can imagine, because that uh, union between them was uh, pretty much a shoot. That's, and I think he's going to make some reference. And you know that perfect was uh, what he wasn't the managers, more of like the advisor. I don't know. Heart of Stone. Mm hmm. They're going to do whatever he has to do. Uh, this is personal, really, uh, with Ric Flair. Oh boy. So didn't really get to it, uh, but remember that that whole everything was that was going on with the the pictures and uh, the the they had the the messages on the answering machine and it was just uh, I mean, that had to be a really tough period of time for Randy to actually you're kind of having to sell that angle with everything else that was going on. As we get back to it here with Harvey Whippleman in the ring, and uh, this this was always I never knew what the, what the hell was going on with Kamala. Like they had so many different people with them, and and you got Kimchi there behind them, and uh, I don't know. It was uh, they roll them out, and 
as they continue here. The mighty Kamala, the giant mask, and it would uh, gets her a little little frightened there, uh, understandably. As he uh, came out. But, you know, it was always a mid-card here at best for most of this. And uh, I think uh, this is another filler match. They want to get him out there, and uh, he's going to be in house shows as, uh, the, as Kamala takes on uh, Dale Wolf here. As they basically just... Let him let him loose. As uh, they tease the fact that the big boss man is going to be coming on, but uh, we've got uh, big boss man, of course, embroiled in this feud. I don't know if you would call it a feud. They uh, a natural. Uh, score to settle by nails saying you know that he had been mistreated by the boss man somewhere along the line and he tracked them down in uh, the WWF and was uh, bent on revenge and uh, coming up we're going to hear from a big boss man as they uh, like to do these these uh, phone-in uh, interview gimmick things they would put on it would you know the guy happened to call in during the show to talk about what was going on because they were very busy somewhere else in the country I'm pretty sure the boss man was in the building. But, hey, why would uh, that enter the the situation here? <laughs> when you could just bring him out or have him do a promo? Because it was a little different. It was different. Different way to uh, put him over. As we see, quick work here done by Kamala. And as they try and take some control, but... Kamala is going to basically do what he wants. He'll eventually get him to <laughs> get him out of the ring and back to backstage area. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we got WWF Wrestling Spotlight, which was not to be confused with the WWF Magazine. So uh, as you've noticed throughout this thing, they kept pushing the WBF. We're not done with that yet. But as we move on here, we've got El Matador, Tito Santana, Tito Santana, who was, uh, man, the guy was really good. Uh, just a, a great performer. And, uh, you know, certainly among the best in the World Wrestling Federation. But, uh, you know, it was another one of those guys, just a big fan favorite. They used him along the way to, uh, you know, to keep that strength of roster, I guess you'd say. But I'm I, uh, I'm disappointed that, that Tito uh, never got that massive push for whatever reason. There are guys that just never got to that point. But you know what? Tito made a hell of a living and uh, did had an incredible career, an incredible long career with the WWF, WWE. And... Uh, you know, became a high school teacher, put his kids through school, and they're all very successful. You want to hear that story? Uh, check it out with Prime Time with Sean Mooney, an episode with Tito Santana. Fascinating guy, and uh, really uh, was never one to, I'm sure he had his fun, but he never lost his focus of what he was in that ring for. 
And uh, top of that list was taking care of his family and making sure that uh, his kids got opportunities that others uh, might not get. And that was through a lot of hard work. And uh, perfect. Uh, not missing an opportunity to rip on Tito and his outfit. Wasn't that nice? I mean, what? Why are you asking Tito who's going to win the championship? I don't know. Just get him a, a promo. WBF champion. <laughs> like, like Tito ever gave two seconds of thought to who's going to be the WBF champion? Oh, yes. And I, I wondered at this point, and they must have known. I mean, they they got an idea of the advance of what kind of purchases they had at these uh, outlets throughout the country, how bad it was. And, uh, you know, I know it was three weeks out when they did this, but when they do the voiceover, it's a lot closer. Uh, that Vince knew it was just doomed. I don't know, but, you know, push what you can, do whatever you can. But, boy, did they... They pushed that thing throughout the show. <laughs> the only thing else they could have done was just devote the entire show and just tell everybody, every single match, all we're going to do is try and get you to watch the WBF championship tonight. Uh, Tito Santana. And uh, if if you remember, if uh, you had seen the network classic we showed before of uh, the big boss man, and those, oh God, weren't those great, the wrestling buddies? Oh, via telephone. Big boss man, because he's, he's, he's getting healed. Wow, look at that. Wow. Get to it. Oh boy. That was that was a you think that was a little scripted? I I don't know, maybe <laughs> like now, see that was a classic example of like they should have just said, Perfect's gonna call you, he's gonna be an asshole, and you just can rip into him or tell him he doesn't know what he's talking about. But you know, like just let that fly. That would have been a lot better than Yeah, it was rough. Cause Believe me, both of them could have handled that no problem. As we see uh, Nails heading out to the ring, and he's still in possession of the big boss man's nightstick as he uh, is healing. And, uh, yeah, they're just saying this is a guy maybe should still be locked up because he just loves hurting people. That's not what wrestling's all about. It's about competition, winning and losing. The better man wins. Not this guy. Not, th- not these uh, brutal kicks. I mean, that's come on. That's just an, who is the, this? This guy, you know, comes in looking for a match, not a, a, a complete beatdown, but that's what he's getting with nails. And here we go. We've got that's Ron Cumberledge. 
who uh, this is a, an example of a guy who's got a pretty good look, but uh, this is Kelly taking uh, you know just brutal shots uh, because he can. This guy's basically a jobber. He's supposed to be just ridiculously fierce guy. And uh, chokes this guy out. And, of course, what do you think is going to happen? Joey Morello's got no shot at controlling this guy. And I have a feeling he's not done with this poor guy, uh, Ron Cumberledge. And as Vince says, man, oh, come on. So uh, that's what we're seeing here. And that's the way they're going to wrap this show up as uh, Nails... Sends a pretty strong message to the big boss man. Yeah, no, he doesn't. As he goes after Joey Morella, anybody in his way. Uh, it's Kevin Wachholz, Watchholes. He also went by Kevin Kelly, but uh, his real name, Kevin Watchholes. And uh, I would love to get uh, Kevin on the on the program. We have certainly made attempts to try and, and bring him on because I would just love to have him tell his story. Because uh, I, I think that this, uh, the gimmick he had would have uh, gone over tremendously well. It would have been, he probably would have gotten quite a bit of longevity there. As uh, we get back to the event center for the uh, final appearance here, big yeah, the big boss man. But I don't know, maybe maybe where do you go from there? Uh, I think that he could have uh, you know they could have had a lot of things going on as he commits crimes against other people and there's a you know whole revenge thing going. Uh, but it was not to be. Uh, him and uh, him and Vince would not see eye to eye, shall we say? Uh, <laughs> So uh, he would find uh, an exit, uh, an easy way to go out of the business, uh, just uh, assault Vince McMahon. But uh, I I know there is a lot more to the story. There is a lot more to the story, and uh, I don't think he's told it very many times, at least to uh, many outlets. Uh, I would love to get uh, him on. That would be fantastic. So uh, if you know any way to get a hold of him, let me know. I would love to chat with with uh, Nails. And uh, we're going to wrap this up. Come on, Mooney. we got things to get to. Uh, and we're tired of looking at that really ugly tie. So. But, oh, but wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. We don't have to go yet. I love watching the Road Warriors. Oops, I mean Legion of Doom. <laughs> And Joe was great. Uh, I mean, these guys, and of course, you know, I've, I've talked about Hawk many times. I just loved his voice and the, the stuff that they would come up with. The orb of your eyes and your... <laughs> yeah. And uh, they got Paul Ellering here. 
who was, you know, they didn't need him as a manager. I mean, they carried, uh, did very well on their own, but he was a great element to it. Uh, he was really good at what he did. So uh, didn't mind at all that he was part of that uh, that duo and uh, the trio they became. And it just got silly when they brought out the dummy, which uh, I'm sure Ellering uh, would love to chat about at some point and I haven't had a chance to chat with him I would love to chat chat with him as well uh, as we wrap it up so Vince is going to wrap it all up we have got uh, LOD we've got Crush as they still try and put him over The Undertaker Money Inc and uh, Legion of Doom going to be LOD oh boy and we're going to continue to put Papa Shango over. Who will get the black ooze next time? And there you have it. Another episode of Superstars. See, now, uh, as I told you going into that, this was basically, you'd know half the people in the ring, uh, unless you watched a lot, and of course you knew the uh, names of the enhancement talent. But... Uh, it's still, not, right? It was an entertaining show. There's no question about it that, uh, you know, uh, seeing these guys and then, of course, all the other stuff they jammed into this with the Randy Savage interview. Uh, anytime you see Gene, and you should relish it every time you get an opportunity to see him and the work that he did, uh, it just shows uh, why he was so good. I mean, everything, Gene's expressions, the stuff he would do, the finger on, you know, the, the lips and the chin and, Oh, I mean, just these subtle things, but he was just so, so good at it. And, and his pauses and the dramatic uh, wording he would come up with. And uh, he, he, he put, you know, these guys over a, a, a zillion times. And uh, seeing Randy, of course, uh, and these other guys, you know, I mean, that uh, we, of course, they, they, they were pushing the WBF ad nauseum, but uh, that's another part of the uh, <laughs> the entertainment because the backstory to all that is uh, just hilarious and I uh, saw it all firsthand so we've got to do uh, we, we, we did something uh, Hacks and I did something when we first uh, got going here but I mean uh, I, I want to bring on uh, Gary Stridham and uh, and talk about that whole period and get the perspective of what these guys saw they were basically thrown to the wolves when they'd send them to these um, live events to pose and stuff. And I, I just would love to hear their view because they've been bashed forever. And you know, there's another side to it. And I'll tell you what, if you're a bodybuilder and you can't imagine those guys made a lot of money. Um, I know I worked with uh, Jay Cutler, who was uh, you know a champion several times over. And uh, he made all of his money from endorsements. He didn't, as far as the competition went, those guys made, God, they made crap. Joe Weider and them, they didn't make, you know, they didn't make a lot of money and uh, from that company. And so I, I would love to hear their perspective of it because you get an opportunity and, and a company's going to pay you a contract, uh, you know, of uh, six figures to basically just work out and pose for them once in a while and then be part of a, uh, a pay-per-view that they're going to do and push a product's. Uh, yeah, you know they're going to jump on that. But I'll guarantee you they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. So uh, that has got to, that's got to be an episode we do uh, before we wrap this podcast up. But uh, really, 
it was it was a, a really interesting time during uh, the World Wrestling Federation, and that, that's 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 uh, you know something that we we got to uh, look into further. But uh, in the meantime, this was an interesting time all the way around in the company with everything that was happening in the ring with the superstars and Vince and uh, them trying to figure out what, what are we going to do if this really uh, gets to a point where we have to address these charges and Vince could possibly go to jail. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was a crazy, crazy time. But uh, there you have it. So I hope you enjoyed that episode of uh, WWF Superstars. I hope, uh, and I didn't mention it because uh, we, we, you know, I, what are we into this now? Uh, the lockdowns and uh, everything that's been going on with the coronavirus. And it seems like six months, doesn't it? We're going into, you know, another month of this, really uh, more than six weeks now. And uh, since it all really started ramping up, but it just seems like so long. And I can't even imagine what it's like for people who have, uh, have lost their jobs or those who are, are uh, you know, been furloughed, uh, as they, they're calling it. And then also other people that are working from home, which I'm sure they're very grateful that they have their jobs, but it's a, it's a big adjustment in your life, and then especially with your kids, and they're not going to school, and uh, it's, just, it's just a crazy time. Now, for me, my life has not changed dramatically. Uh, you know, I work for a, a news station. I do, uh, host a morning show. And so I'm still getting up every day uh, and, and going out there. And believe me, I'm really, really grateful that I'm working every day and, and, and uh, able to continue to take care of my family uh, and, uh, you know, all that goes with it. But it is a really challenging time for everybody. So I just hope you're, you're all faring well, that you're staying safe, you're staying healthy and doing your part uh, to not only take care of others, but also take care of yourself and your family. So um, that's it on that. Uh, I'd love to hear from you guys. Remember, you can email me at primetimemooney at gmail.com, primetimemooney at gmail.com. And, uh, of course, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at primetimemooney. Okay? So I hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, It will be up. uh, it, It shows up on Monday. Uh, every Monday, we have a network a, a classic that we put up. And then, of course, we've got an original episode. This week's a, a, a very interesting one. You know, I've uh, done a lot with the NWA, which is now on hiatus. But uh, I had an opportunity and had have over the last several uh, weeks and uh, the last few months to get to know a lot of these guys with that roster. And the guys that have had very accomplished careers. And this Wednesday, we've got Tim Storm. Uh, on the on the program, who really I believe is one of the, one of the most underrated uh, professional wrestlers around, and you know a lot of it has to do with opportunity. A lot of it has to do maybe with the fact that uh, he started his career rather late. There are not too many people who have been able to do that and have really really successful careers. Uh, Tim's been very successful. You know, of course, a former NWA World's Heavyweight Champion uh, and a big star with the new NWA. But there are a few that, have, you know, he started in his early 30s, as I said. And then you know, who, what other people do you know? I mean, DDP, uh, he, he may be one of the uh, only other, uh, you know, few others that uh, decided to take up a new career that is just brutal, not uh, just, uh, just to get into it, but then be successful and, and to be that age. But um, Tim is a incredible physical specimen i talked to him in the program and you know say that uh, he's in better shape now than he was back when he started 
he's in tremendous physical shape. He uh, totally adjusted how he approached staying in shape and keeping himself healthy and how he uh, ate. And uh, he, he looks fantastic now, and he's uh, already approaching his mid-50s. Uh, so don't miss that episode. You talk about uh, a profile in, in uh, persistence and uh, you know, devotion and love of a, of a, a profession. You're going to hear all about it when you tune in to that episode this Wednesday with Tim Storm. And then, of course, we'll have an episode from The Vault on Saturday. And they all drop at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. 6 a.m. Eastern Time. So there you go. So like I said, stay safe, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.